morning. My name is Garrett Morris, and I'm going to be teaching grow groups for you this morning. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians. Our main passage this morning is going to be Colossians 2, verse 6 through 10. But I'm going to be hitting on a few passages in Colossians, so we won't be staying there. We'll start at chapter 1. So really, if you, if you want to flip there, we'll begin. A little introduction of myself. My name, as I said, is Garrett Morris, and I am married to my wonderful wife, Paige, of almost 11 years. August 12th will be uh, Mark Year 11 for us, and we have three children. We've got Greenlee, who is nine, Preston, who is seven, and Havlin, who turned three at the beginning of this year. God has blessed me with three wonderful children and an amazing wife, and I'm so happy that he's given them to me. Before we get started, let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful morning. Thank you for the time that we can come together, that we can study your word together, that we can learn so that we can apply and pass on the truths of your word, Father. We pray that as we learn, we do so with a mind to teach others and in doing so apply that to our lives. God, we thank you so much for Paul, for his writings, for the book of Colossians. And we thank you most importantly for Jesus Christ and eternal life. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, to start, let's get a little background of Colossians. Colossians was written around 61 AD by the Apostle Paul. This was one of his letters he wrote when he was imprisoned in Rome the first time. He's writing this to the church, the Christians at Colossae. And let's go ahead and get into the scripture. So chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 starts, says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So Paul always announces himself as the author at the beginning of his letters. We see here he does the same, but if you notice, he also includes Timothy. So Timothy's involved in writing this letter also. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ or at Colossae. So Timothy helps him in one way or another uh, as, he, as he prepares this letter. In all 13 letters Paul wrote, he included this line coming up, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. When you have a little time, I encourage you to look back, start in Romans, and flip through. Paul always announces himself as the author and then follows up with grace to you and peace from God our Father. It's kind of what I kind of refer to as his signature phrase there as he begins these. Uh, in verse 3 and 4, we see that Paul's not personally familiar with these believers, but that he had heard of their faith from a man named Epaphras. Epaphras had obviously led these believers to Christ in some way, got the message to Paul about them, and that's what got Paul to write this letter encouraging them. So he's writing this letter to the believers there in Colossae. So we're going to look down a little further in chapter 1 to verse 13 where Paul describes Christ's 
character so wonderfully. So let's read that together. He's writing as he gets into chapter two, where we're going to kind of focus down on. He starts and, and, and says, in, in my Bible, the, the t- heading there says, the incomparable Christ. But we'll read through this, and then I'm going to read through those um, 11 statements he says. He says, for he rescued us, Jesus, from death, from the dominion of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the faithfulness to dwell in him. So as we look through there, Paul describes Christ and says he is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the creator of all things in the heavens and on earth, the visible and invisible, all things were created through him. John 1, 3 says, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So John, who's telling us that Jesus is God, as he writes, he tells us this is true also. And then it says, all things were created through him and for him, right? Not just through him, but everything was created for him. Him, for Jesus. He was before all things. He's eternal and has always existed. He holds all things together. He's the head of the church. He is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. And he will have first place in everything. Jesus will have first place in everything. And then in verse 19, it says, it was the Father's good pleasure for the fullness to dwell in him. So all of God's attributes, his full deity, are in Jesus Christ. I'm pretty sure we all know this, looking out at everybody. We, we know Jesus is fully God, but, but, and we know that he is Savior. But when I read this, I pause because I really, it really brings to light that he is our Savior, but he is 100% God. God's full deity is found in Jesus Christ. And I, I, I hit on this because understanding that helps put chapter 2, verse 6 through 10 in perspective and, and how we can overcome some of these things that they were struggling with. So in verse 24 through 29, I'm not going to read them, but Paul then tells that and explains that he was made an apostle to carry out the message of Christ. And he's writing because this was, this was the... Uh, the job given to him, right? He actually even says, it was for your benefit that I do this. So let's go flip over to two, chapter 2, verse 6 through 10, as we get into kind of the meat of, of what we're going to talk about this morning. So it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, 
and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. So verse six says, therefore, since you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Paul says, since you've received, since you believed in Jesus Christ, since you've believed, walk in him. Paul says, great, you've received Jesus, you have eternal life, now it's time to do a walk. It brings to mind Galatians 5.16, another one of Paul's letters, right? He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then verse 17 tells us why, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, for they're in opposition to one another, so that you will not do the things that you please. So we're to walk in the spirit so we don't carry out the desires of the flesh. And this is what Paul says. Paul says, so walk in him. Then verse eight is really important. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So Paul's clear here. People of the world would try to influence and take captive the minds of the Colossians. They do this to us too, right? Through philosophy and empty deception. In the Greek, the, the philosophy, the definition there, it's the idea, it's the love or pursuit of wisdom, which by definition sounds good, right? But Paul obviously takes issue with this version of wisdom he calls it empty deceit. It's not wisdom from God. It's worldly wisdom. It's this wisdom given by man. It's these thoughts that are not of God. And anything that God does, anything um, opposite of God, it's empty deceit. The tradition of men, he goes and further clarifies that the tradition of men or the unbelieving world is fruitless, it's untruthful, and it will lead them and us astray and says the elementary principles of the world. And then says, rather than what? So instead of, according to Christ. Paul shows the direct contrast here. He says, see to it that you're not led astray by all this worldly junk, instead of what Christ says. And then he clarifies why. He says, for in him the full deity, here we hear this again, the full deity dwells in bodily form and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. So just like we saw in chapter one, Christ is literally God in the flesh, the fullness of deity dwells in him, and in him, Jesus, the Colossians, and you and I have been made complete. I think the end of verse 10 in this, to, for me, was the most important statement. He is the head over all rule, and authority. Who is the head? Jesus is the head. Who's the ruler? Jesus is the ruler. Who is the authority? Jesus is the authority in all things, overall, right? It doesn't say in some things. It doesn't say in the things you want him to be. It doesn't say in the things people tell you. It says in all things. We live in a world that says there is no definite truth. They say what is your way is true for you, my way is true for me. But that's not what this says, does it? Paul says here, he says, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the head over all rule and authority. 
And we as Christians are to live as such. I want to be clear, this is written to believers in Colossae, but this is true for us also. We are called to live this way. We're called to know what truth is, and we're called to be faithful and obedient to the world, or to the word, not the world. If we do not live this way, then what? We're disobedient Christians, right? It doesn't mean we don't have eternal life. We do. It doesn't mean that we can lose eternal life or we never had it. That's not the case. It means that we are disobedient and we can expect and should expect discipline, right? If we're a believer and we're not being obedient to what the word says, we can expect discipline. Just like a, a, a father, a good father, good parent does his child, right? Um, I've had more than I like to admit conversations with my children about discipline and how um, we don't like to do it. Their mother and I do not enjoy disciplining them. But I tell them that we do this because it is our job, it is Paige and I's job, to make them the best version of themselves that they can be. It is our job to train them so that one day when they leave our house, that they can be productive members of society and that they live a life that is fruitful and a life that will set them on a path to be wonderful disciples for Christ. So if that's the case as an earthly parent, right, the perfect father will discipline us in the same way because he knows it is, he is making us the best version of ourselves. And when we're not obedient, we can expect discipline. I want to make a clarification through that because I just talked about how the world does not live this way and there are those that say, you know, there is no definite truth. Um, he's talking to believers here. We cannot expect the unbeliever to believe this way, to live this way, or to even hold this view, right? They're void of the Holy Spirit. They're unable to understand. I, when I read through this, want to, you know, proclaim, and we should proclaim, the truth of Jesus Christ. But we have to, I have to remind myself of 1 Corinthians 2.14 very often. It says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The unbelieving world cannot understand this stuff. They can't. They can't understand that Jesus is the authority over all. They, we can't expect them to understand this. Too often I see Christians getting these back and forth arguments with unbelievers, and it saddens me because they're wasting their breath and they're wasting their time getting into this stuff because they're not going to understand it. We're called to take the gospel to unbelievers as Christians. They must hear the gospel and believe before we can get into this stuff. We can't jump to Colossians 2, 6 when we're talking to the unbeliever and say, listen, you guys aren't doing this. This is what Jesus is the authority, and this is truth, and your way of thinking is wrong because they're not going to understand it. We need to say, Jesus Christ died to pay for all of our sins, right? He was buried, and on the third day, he rose to conquer death. And because of that news, that great news, we put our faith in him, we receive eternal life. That's what we tell the world, right? That, that is found in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 3, and 4, the gospel. 
That is the gospel, and the response to that is belief, and that's what we take to the unbelieving world. But as believers, this message is very important in Colossians 2, 6 through 10. We must be careful that this unbelieving world with their false understanding and false truth does not sway our understanding and knowledge of the real truth. And that truth is found in Jesus Christ and his word. Chapter 2 goes on to describe the worldly and false teachings and beliefs that the Colossians were facing. Um, In verse 16 and 17, Paul says that believers should know not to be judged on food, drink, observing festivals, new moons, the Sabbath. Right? They were still hearing this legalistic message, right, that they had to do all of this. He's saying that's not true. And Paul says that these things are just a mere shadow of what's to come, but the substance belongs to Christ, right? So legalism continued to be a a problem for these new believers. And Paul's saying, this is a false message. Don't, Don't get tied up in that. It's not true. In verse 18 and 19, we see that there were those worshiping angels. Some were claiming visions and other mystic ideologies. In fact, my, the Ryrie study Bible I have says that they were claiming special insights by the way of these visions. So they were looking to these visions as their truth, right? They said, I've seen these visions and this is true, not what, not what God tells them, not what the word says. They weren't, and it says, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. So there's that direct contrast. They were doing these things, which obviously were not from God. And then finally, in verse 20 and 23, we see the issues of self-made religion, false humility. Self, it says self-abasement. It's this idea of, of, of look at me, I'm humble, right? This is humility that's not true humility and severe treatment of the body. So they were, they were doing things to try to not fulfill the desires of the flesh that then Paul says, this is of no value against fleshly indulgence because the only thing that's going to set you free from that is Christ, right? Nothing that you do can really set you free. The church in Colossae had issue with the world and fleshly desires just like we do now, but we must stay in the word. We must turn to Christ who is the truth. As it said before in verse 10, Jesus is the head over all rule and authority. Our authority is in Jesus and his word. We find that authority, we find the instructions in the Bible. It's not from what the world says, it's not from what you think, it's not any of that. It's what God says and what the Bible tells you. And then finally, in chapter 3, we see how we accomplish this. So chapter 3, verse 1 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Verse 1 says, We're to seek the things above where Christ is. And it says, Where is Christ? He's seated at the right hand of God. It says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. We need to have that heavenly perspective. Keep our minds on the things of God and not on the things of the world. This is how we accomplish this. This is how we 
um, see to it that we're not deceived. We see to it that we're living the way we're supposed to. We have to have that heavenly perspective, not our eyes out on the world. We need to look to Jesus for the answers. So I'll summarize and then have some applications and you'll have uh, plenty of time in Grover we're gonna get there about five minutes early probably. Okay, so what, we've, what have we seen? We've seen that Paul wrote the book of Colossians to the believers at Colossae. We've seen Christ's character as described by Paul. Paul lays it out in uh, chapter one, just those beautiful attributes of Jesus Christ. We've seen how Paul told the church to walk in Jesus, to be careful not to be led astray by the world and its teaching and understanding. And then we talked about how we're to take the gospel message to the unbelieving world, that they wouldn't and couldn't understand truth the way we do. They're unable to because of their lack of the Holy Spirit. We looked at some specific things the church in Colossae was dealing with. And finally, we saw that we're to have a heavenly perspective and keep our eyes on Jesus. So I've got four applications for you. Number one, understand the characteristics of Jesus Christ that's listed in Colossians, right? He is fully God. We're to walk in Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.16 tells us that, right? Walk in the Spirit. We're to understand truth and not be swayed by worldly teaching. And we're to set our eyes on Jesus and the things above and keep that heavenly perspective. Perspective. 